Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Thank you all very, very much for listening. As always, my name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. On the agenda this evening, nice to have a Saturday off, wasn't it? Um, can't pretend I did anything all that useful with my free Saturday, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to complain about taking one. Here and there. So, on the agenda this evening, again, uh, we'll preview UFC on ESPN 46. They are back at the Apex with another one of those Apex cards. So, we'll preview that, such as it exists. Uh, Then we have some news. We got some financial news from the UFC, so for those of you who are interested in some of that, we'll be talking a little bit about that. A bit of stuff from the world of boxing, and once again, Dana White picking a fight with one of his fighters. Who knew, right? So, that's what we've got. Um, Anything else on the preamble? Oh, yeah. If you could, like, comment, subscribe. Depending on your podcast platform of choice, whatever is applicable. Star rating, written review, again, whatever. Uh, That all helps a great deal. If you've done any and all of that, sharing on your social media platform of choice. Knock yourselves out. Uh, Please do. Tell people about it. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, I don't do this very often, but, eh, what the heck. I am at WinfreeMMA. That's my last name, W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. You can follow me if you're so inclined. I promise not to fill your feed with porn or politics. Um, I don't know. Can I... Okay. Nothing that... Very little. I can't say nothing. Very little that I retweet or engage with on Twitter is political. You might feel differently about some of the stuff I monkey around with. So I leave that up to your discretion. To the best of my knowledge, I don't engage in anything that's overtly political. I don't spew it out. I have my thoughts. So do you. I tend not to spew them onto Twitter. So... Again, for whatever it's worth. If you don't want to follow me, fine. I don't blame you. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a very anodyne follow. I don't throw a whole lot up there. But if you're interested, there it is. Uh, so, yeah, that's all good. All right, let's jump into the preview, shall we? UFC on ESPN 46 comes our way Saturday, June 18th. 18th. Whoa, I'm out of third. Why did I think the 18th? Hang on. What is the 18th? Oh, I have a thing. I have a thing on the 18th. Sorry, that's where that... You don't care. That's where that came from. Uh, June 3rd. Um, main event for the featherweight title. This was originally... What were they looking at for the original main event? Um, yeah, okay, this one had a journey. Uh, it originally started, I think, as like Jack Hermanson and Brendan Allen... Hermanson had some kind of an injury. Allen got bumped to the um, Emmett and Teporia card that's coming up on June 25th. Great fight. Uh, he'll fight Bruno Silva there. I, I'm in the main event. I mean, Al- uh, Brendan Allen and Bruno Silva is not a bad fight at all. But when that all kind of went down, they just bumped up what was on the card, um, Kai de France and Amir Albazi, to the main event. This is the first event, mind you. Headlined by a flyweight fight since the first fight between Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno at the end of um, 
the end of 2020. I feel like that was a December. That was like the last event of 2020, right? Uh, that December card. I must check. Yeah, UFC 256. We are well over 100 events. And look, if you don't feel confident throwing um, the flyweight title fight as the main event to a pay-per-view, whatever. I might disagree with you, but it's whatever, okay? You have a million Apex cards, and you can't throw a good flyweight fight in the main event of any of those? I mean, since then, let me, let's me let have a look at some of the worst main events we've had since then, shall we? Um, you know, just the bad ones. So, what do we got? Um, Blades and Lewis wasn't great. I mean, it ended fine, but... Because uh, we had that big string of Apex cards in 2021. Um, wasn't until last latter half of 21 that things got really wonky, was it? Uh, I guess uh, Rosen's dude. We had that one main evented by um, Josina Rosenstrick and Augusto Sakai. That was bad. Uh, Hall and Strickland, eh. That wasn't great. Smith and Span was all right. Um, yeah. Oh, good grief. Um, Aspen Ladd and Norma Dumont. Yeesh. Oh, Vera and Tate. I would have preferred not that. That one wasn't great. Um, Whitaker, uh, Walker and Hill. Sorry. Walker and Hill? Eh, we could have done better. Uh, something like Goliath was fine. Um, Lemos versus Andrade, we couldn't have thrown a, f we had those two, we couldn't have found a good flyweight fight there. Holm versus Vieira, good grief. And I'm only looking at main events here, I'm not looking at whole cards. Um. Now, Veron Cruz was fine. Um, oh, Mackenzie Dern and Jan Shaunan, did not need five rounds of that. Uh, let's see. Cater and Allen was fine. Well, Strickland and uh, Kennedy and Strickland. Uh, Strickland and Imovov. A lot of Strickland cards. Uh, oh, Lewis and Spivak did not need it. Did not need it. Um, Andrade and Blanchfield came together short notice. I can't get too mad at that one. Uh, there's just There have been plenty... There have been... And again, this is just me perusing it. Like, there have been plenty of times when you could have found a good flyweight fight to main event instead of your crappy heavyweights. Or mediocre light heavyweights. Just uh, no respect for the division. Absolutely none. Anyway, we're breaking that streak here with Kai Carter-France and Amir Albazi. This feels like Carter-France. Albazi is not a bad fighter at all. Uh, he's, f what, 4-0 in the UFC? 3-0 at flyweight, his debut was at bantamweight. Um, yeah, wins over Zhalga Zumagulov. Was iffy on that call. Uh, but stops both from Francisco Figueredo and Alessandro Costa. Uh, dude's a player. Um, this is just a big step up for him. Kai de France has fought for the belt. Well, the interim belt, but for the belt. Um... Couldn't quite get over the Brandon Moreno. He was actually doing well against Moreno 
he dropped the first round. He'd won the second, and he was kind of winning the third before the body kick that Moreno landed kind of just caught him. Um, yeah, I'm going to pick Carol France here, but this is a step up for Albazi, and if he delivers, uh, this is a big spot for him to potentially deliver. So, it's a, it's a pretty good fight. Um, it's sad that things are kind of cooled off for both guys, but... Because Albazi... When was that last win? It was only December of last year. Probably was on that Cannoneer and Strickland card. So it just... It punctuated a long string of finishes. That was a rough card to get through, man. Um, so you can... This Magulov was a fun enough. Like, it, it was just a rough card. Sometimes you get those. We had some good finishes. Um, we had... Even some of the fights that went the distance were fine enough fights. But... Yeah, maybe just the main event being kind of what it was that threw me off. That is throwing me off there, but... Anyway, so, you know, six months later, Albazi's back. Um, yeah, Carlo France, when was his fight? Very recently, actually. Uh, no, sorry, longer. July of 2022, so he's almost a year out. Good fight. It's unfortunate they haven't been quite as active as you would like, um, but you know, very good fight. The rest of this card is... Uh, well, let's go through it. Featherweight fight between Alex Caceres and Daniel Pineda. Does he prefer Caceres? I forget how he prefers it pronounced. I apologize if he if I'm doing it wrong relative to his uh, preferred pronunciation. Um, Caceres is on a pretty good streak, actually. He's what? Hang on, three, five, yeah, six and one in his last seven. Only lost to Sadiq Youssef. Coming off that win over Julian Arroso, it's a pretty good win. Uh, Pineda. That's a guy who has been real up and down in the UFC. Pineda's kind of hard-nosed, though. And that has, on more than one occasion, uh, messed with... That has messed with uh, Caceres. Pineda was, I think he was a pretty decent underdog to Tucker Lutz, if memory serves. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick Pineda. I... I kind of feel bad not picking Caceres here. I don't pick him very often. He wins a good chunk, so, you know. Whatever that's worth. I, I'm going to lean towards Pineda there. I just... He is, in some respects, the kind of fighter that has given Caceres problems. That said, if Caceres could easily... He could keep this at distance and just kind of outstrike, outsnipe Pineda and just... That's very possible. So it's a close fight. I, I lean towards Pineda, but close fight. Lightweight, Jim Miller. Woo! We love Jim Miller here, and you should too. He's fighting Jared Gordon. Good little fight here. Um, Miller lost to Alexander Hernandez his last time out. Kind of unfortunate. I thought he fought pretty well though. Um. I kind of just pick Jim Miller sentimentally at this point. I'm aware that it's not always the smart pick, um, but I don't care. <laughs> I think Jim Miller's stated goal at this point is to just still be in the UFC for UFC 300 and to fight on that card because he was on UFC 100 and UFC 200. 
So being the only guy to be on all three, because he and Brock Lesnar actually were both on 100 and 200. If he can be the only guy to be on all three of the Centennial cards, um, that seems to motivate him. It seems to be what he wants. And you know what? We're not that far from it. We're 289 June 10th. So, you know, it's entirely possible, as long as he doesn't get hurt or whatnot. So, I'm going to pick him here. Jared Gordon's going to give him a tough fight. Um, Gordon was involved in that unfortunate clash of heads with Bobby Green. Just uh, not that long ago, actually, just back in April. Uh, man, the judge is screwing him on that Patty Pimblet fight. That really hurt. That really hurt him. Uh, so, I'm going to pick Miller... Probably, again, I hate to say probably wrong because I love the guy, but um, he's just at that point in his career. Again, it's very more, It's it, this is a lot more emotional than it is logical for me with Miller. So, rooting for the guy. And this is a fight he could win. It's not impossible. Uh, flyweights, Tim Elliott and Victor Altamirano. Um, where does Elliott fight now? Where'd he move? Extreme Couture. Moved back there. He'd been there before, okay. He's one of those guys who had the James Krause thing. Again, man, I feel bad for Tim Elliott and some of the personal stuff he's going through, but... Beat Tiger Ulan Bekov last time out. Three and one in the last four isn't bad. Only lost him uh, Matthews Nikolaou, who's pretty good. Other losses, Figueredo, Askar Askarov, Brandon Royval... Top, top tier. Um, I'm going to go with Elliot here, but let me double check Altamariano. He's got a winning UFC record, if memory serves. I just want to double check. Yeah, he's 12-2 and two overall. 2-1 two and one in the UFC. He lost to Carlos Hernandez. Wins over Daniel Lacerda and Vinicius Salvador. So this is a step up for Altamariano. Yeah, I'm still going to lean Elliot a bit, but... This is not an unreasonable step up for Altamariano, given that Elliot's a little bit more on the decline. And in theory, Altamariano is on the way up. Let's see, women's flyweight, Carini Silva and Ketlin Souza. Kier Souza is making her UFC debut. Yes, yes. She's on a five-fight winning streak. A bad couple of wins in... Invicta won the uh, won the vacant Invicta flyweight title. That's nothing to sneeze at. Um, I want to say Silva had a she had a terrible debut or a great debut. I can't remember which. I think she had a good one. Let me double check her. Fifteen and four. Oh yeah, she. Oh, I remember. Yeah, she beat up Poliana Botelho. Um. Yeah, she was supposed to fight uh, Priscilla Cachuea at some point, and then that fell apart after Cachuea had her weight issues. Fairly easy pick for Silva here. Might be wrong. Gonna throw that out there. Might be wrong. Um, Souza doesn't look like someone to play with, but uh, Silva looked really darn good in her debut. Wow, they buried this fight. Uh, Jamie Malarkey and Gurdam Kutadeladze. That's a good fight. 
Eh, maybe they just want to kick off the main card with a hot opener. Uh, Malarkey, 4-1 and one in his last five. Only lost in that stretch to Jalen Turner. Two-fight winning streak. I thought he beat Michael Johnson, so no issue with that split going his way. Um, beat Francisco Prado. That was kind of just a send-up fight for him, though. Uh, Kuta Deladze, somewhat by contrast. He's kind of a hammer, man. 12-3. and three. He's only 1-1 one one in the UFC, but he's had some. that guy's had some bad luck. He debuted in 2020 with an upset win over Mateusz Gamrot. Uh, he won fair and square. Had a couple of fights with Don Madge fall apart. Lost a split decision to Demir Ismagulov. I thought Ismagulov won that fight, but no, again, that was close enough to be split. Had a fight that was, geez, about a year ago. Well, I had a fight with Thiago Moises fall out. I'm going with Kuta Deladze here. I think he's a bad style matchup for Mr. Malarkey, but... Uh, hopefully Kuta Deladze can get a little bit more consistent. He's got a lot of ability. Now that's the main card. That's for the prelims. Welterweight, Abubakar, Nurmagomedov, and Lelizu Zaleski Dos Santos. Nurmagomedov, that guy's been up and down a little bit. On a two-fight winning streak at the moment. Wins over Jared Gooden and Gadzi Omar Gadziev. You know, as a brief aside... I don't know if I should like how easily I can both remember and intuit some of these name pronunciations, or if I should hate that about myself at this point. Um, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Uh, let's see. Whereas Dos Santos, that poor guy had a long winning streak, and then injuries, and then the leech. Uh, that was a guy who was criminally underappreciated for a long time and seems to have sadly not quite been able to get fights with ranked guys when he needed them. Coming off a win over Benoit Saint-Denis. Um, 36. I think this is Dos Santos. This is, this is a step up for Nurmagomedov. Again, he's done some pretty good work thus far in the UFC. Um, kind of, I hate to say fluke, with that weird loss to David Zavada. He is stepping up here. He is stepping up here in a big way in terms of his level of opposition. Because, again, Zaleski Dos Santos was a top top shelf welterweight for a period of time. I, I think I am going to lean towards Zaleski, but... He might be on the wrong side of things. The wrong trajectory is a very real thing for him. Bantamweights. John Castaneda versus uh, Mateus Mendonca. Castaneda lost his last fight. He is, what, 2-2 two and two in the UFC? Yeah, 2-2. Two and two. Daniel Santos knocked him out. Ooh, I remember. It was October of last year. That was a gnarly knockout. Stopped Miles Johns and Eddie Wineland before that, though, and then his de his other loss was his debut against Nathaniel Wood. That's a tough draw for your debut. Uh, Mendonca has fought in the UFC before. Did this change? Looking at two different cards... Uh, yeah, apparently Mendonca withdrew. 
That listing hasn't been updated. This one has. He's now taking on um, a debuting fighter from, is that Indonesia? No, Tajikistan. Why did I think that was the Indonesian flag? Dang it. Yeah, that was just way wrong on my part. Um, so this would be, um, excuse me, Muin Gafarov. Wait, he's fought in the UFC before, right? Wasn't he the first uh, Tajikistan fighter in the UFC? No, different guy was the first one. This gentleman lost on the Contender Series. He's won two in a row since. Oh, I know why I know this guy. Oh, he had a he had a pretty good. He lost to John Lineker in one championship, but it was actually a pretty good fight. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some of his one fights I caught. That's why I know him. Okay, okay. Um. He's not the first Tajik guy in the UFC. Am I confusing him with a Turkmenistani fighter? I'm gonna double check that at some point in the future. Y'all don't care about that. Um. I, if this was the original opponent, I actually might have favored Mendonca because that he lost to Javid Basharat. That was his first ever loss. Uh, that guy's kind of a hammer. I don't know. Then again, man, um, Mendonca coming to the UFC with less than ten. Like his tenth fight was the Javid Basharat fight in his UFC debut. Who was that? January of this year. Actually, I might have gone Castaneda either way now that I looked through Mendonce's uh, record. Yeah, I have no problem picking Castaneda here against a replacement fighter. Might be wrong. Again, um, this guy is... He's nothing to sneeze at in that particular respect. He's a, he's a pretty good fighter. You know, he had a very good run-through one. Uh, but I don't, I, I don't mind picking Castaneda here. Heavyweights, Andre Arlovsky still drawing $250,000 just to show. He doesn't have a show and win split. He has a flat fee. Uh, if it's Dante Almeys, am I... I've joked in the past about not being able to pick Arlovsky, but Arlovsky just had a four-fight winning streak busted by Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Mays, on the other hand, man, like he gets after it, but... Yeah, I'm picking I'm picking Andre Arlovsky to win a fight in the UFC in the year of our Lord 2023. What is reality? Reality is heavyweight. And that's just kind of the way that goes, I guess. Uh strawweight, Elise Reed and Jin Yu Frey. I uh, think this is Reed. Reed's been up and down in the UFC going 2 and 3. Uh, Hoover losses. Sajara Eubanks, that was at flyweight. She took on short notice to get into the UFC. At strawweight, she's 2-2. Two and two. Beat Corey McKenna, that was fair. Lost to Sam Hughes, rough stoppage. Beat Melissa Martinez. Lost to Loma Lukbunmi, who grappling is still a big... Oh, and Fry's not a bad grappler. Fry's on the wrong side of a lot of things, though, man. She's 2-4 and four in the UFC. On her second two-fight losing streak, um, Poliana Viana stopped her in her last fight. She's 38. I'm going to pick Reed, and I'm prepared to feel very stupid if Fry just wrestles her to death. If she does, then so be it. I will feel stupid, and I will cross Reed off of my list. 
Uh, people I reliably pick until information changes. Bantamweights, Daniel Santos and Johnny Munoz Jun uh, Jr. That's not a bad fight. Uh, let's see here. Santos. One and one in the UFC. Beat Julio Arce. Lost to Julio Arce, excuse me. And then beat John Castaneda. Uh, Johnny Munoz Jr. He's 12 and two. He's been up and down in the UFC. Yeah, two and two. Looked pretty good in his last couple of fights. Uh, I know he lost the Tony Gravely fight. But he actually looked okay before the loss. Um, the Jamie Simmons win was good. The Ludovic Sholinan win was good. <sighs> this is tough. I think I'm going to lean towards Munoz just a bit. That's a close fight, though. It's a very close fight. Uh, let's see. We have Luan Lacerda and Damon Blackshear, also at Bantamweight. Uh, Lacerda, 12-2. Lost his UFC debut to Cody Stamen. That snapped a long winning streak, actually. Was that 10 fights? I think it was. Long winning streak. Uh, so he needs to bounce back here. Blackshear's been real up and down in the UFC, hasn't he? Or is he like all, only down? 0-1-1. Uh, fought to a draw with Yusuf Zalal and then lost to Farid Basharat. Huh. We're at the point in the card where it's kind of like flip a coin, who knows. Um... Wow. You know, I am going to flip a coin. Screw it. Uh, heads. Lacerda. Tails. Blackshear. Heads. I'll pick Lacerda. So, pick Lacerda. Again, like, you could go either way on that very, very easily. And kicking everything off, we have light heavyweights because, of course we do. Uh, Felipe Linz and Maxime Grishin. Uh, Linz looked rejuvenated. Coming back down to... Like coming back down to light heavyweight for the first time in a long time. Um, yeah, he's on a two-fight winning streak. Stopped Ovin St. Prue's last time out. He just bum-rushed OSP. Uh, Grishin, by contrast, has been a light heavyweight for a good chunk of time. Um, he's been up and down. He lost his heavyweight debut to Marcin Tabura. Beat Gazimorda and Tagulov. Lost to Dustin Jacoby. Must wait for that, too. Not good. He missed pretty bad, too, didn't he? Yeah, he weighed 210 and a half. Uh, then he fought William Knight, and William Knight weighed 218 for their light heavyweight fight. Logically, this is Lens. Logically. Because, so, logical pick is Lens. If you don't mind leaning into the meme, and I don't mind leaning into the meme sometimes, you tend to pick the Russian to beat the Brazilian. <laughs> if they were in Brazil, I would pick Russian, just again for the lulls. But uh, It's mid-level light. Again, Linz, I'm curious to see what he does at light heavyweight. He's looked pretty darn good, but it's light heavyweight. It's not exactly a good division. So, And that's the card as it currently stands. So... I will be covering that again Saturday, June 3rd, in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, so give that a follow.
if you're so inclined. That was a quick preview. It's not a very... There's not a lot to talk about on this card. I don't know what to tell you. So, MMAZone411mania.com. Follow along over there. If you're so inclined, appreciate it. All right. I promise not to yell too much about this, but we got financials for the UFC. Um, because the UFC and WWE are being merged into an entity called TKO. And... There's a lot of public stuff that goes along with that. Plus, Endeavor is a publicly traded company. So, if you're inclined to dig into the numbers and the records and the financials and whatnot, you can do some real reporting. And John Nash has done so over at Bloody Elbow. Uh, you do have to be a subscriber for the actual article, so... Do that if you're willing and able. If not, you're going to have to kind of take my word for some of this. Um, and I'm going half on memory. Or listen to the podcast where it's discussed over... I think the Hang Not the Face podcast gave devoted a fair chunk of time to it, so... Or trust another polemic... Uh, sort of polemic source. Uh, like, the Morning Combat guys talked about this, and I'm going to talk about it, so... Anyway. So, we got some new numbers for that, and it turns out that the current... Uh, if you do the math, the current UFC rev share for the fighters is 13%. Somewhere between, like, 13 and 14 and a half. The UFC generated over a billion dollars in, like, they're a, they're pretty consistently generating a billion dollars in revenue. And I think it was for the year, was it 2022 that they, in profit, pulled down 400, like, right around 400 million. I think they were under it, but. 300, like, close to it. It was 300 and a lot of change. Forgive me for not remembering the number off the top of my head. Profit. Mind you, not revenue. Profit. And they're paying out to fighters... You know, again, 13-ish percent of their... 13-ish percent of revenue generated. If you have had fights fall through that you wanted to see, and the UFC has done that pretty consistently, understand something. Money is not an object here. Now, some of this is the UFC has to be this ridiculously profitable to help Endeavor pay off their debt load, which they just took on a little bit more to buy the WWE and then merge them together, yada, yada, yada. But, understand something, like, John Jones saying, you know, how about 10 million to fight Francis Ngannou? The UFC could have easily paid him and Francis 10 million dollars each and not felt one bit of that pinch. Not one iota. This is the most the UFC is the most successful Fight promotion, to the extent they're a promotion. Let me talk about that in a minute. Because they are technically still a promotion. They're the most successful combat sports entity ever. In human history. This is it. It's them. They're generating over a billion dollars in revenue. In the next couple of years, they're probably going to have $500 million in profit. Half a billion dollars in Profit is in their immediate future. And you've still got fighters fighting for 10 and 10. 
And you've got guys like, um, it was Temba Gorimbo saying, like, yeah, I was broke. I was broke living at the gym, and Colby Covington was buying my meals. That's shameful. Okay? That is straight up shameful for a business entity pulling in almost around $400 million in profit to have fighters on their roster doing with those stories. It is shameful. There is no other word for it. And also, look, it's easy to stick up for the fighters at the low end because it's ridiculous. John Jones and Francis Ngannou, those guys, the guys at the top of the card, they're more underpaid than the guys at the bottom of the card. That's, look, that's not a popular opinion because it's not, again, it's not popular to say, no, the highest paid guys are actually underpaid. But mathematically, they are. They are more underpaid than the guy at the bottom of the card. Guy at the bottom of the card needs it more and feels it more, and it's an easier it's easier to get outraged over. It's harder to get outraged over John Jones saying, because he openly saying, yeah, when it was all said and done, somewhere around like five to eight million a fight. Now that's still like gross, not net. But it's hard to get outraged for that guy. And I mean John might not be a great example because He's a personality that you may not care for. I mean, Ditto Connor, but Connor's underpaid. He is. But the guys at the top of the card, they're underpaid. More so than the guys at the bottom. The guys at the bottom are just bad PR, terrible human interest stories, and just a horrible, horrible, horrible reflection of the business practices. The guys at the top are losing out. So those guys at the bottom, like, Okay, my opinion, the show, the entire show and win split should be done away with. I've proposed this before. Like, I know the UFC won't do this, and I don't have these specific numbers to say, but my hunch would be take everybody's, your minimum to fight in the UFC, your minimum is $23,000. You're still, that's still not great. But... If you wanna, if you are doing what the UFC is doing, which is throwing crap at the wall and seeing what sticks, more on that in a minute, then you can't be. It, it, I can understand the hesitance at throwing around a thirty to fifty thousand dollar contract for everybody in entry level position. Okay, fair enough. You start at twenty three, you win, that bumps up to twenty five. You win again, it bumps up to twenty eight. You, by the time you win three. You should be making thirty-ish thousand dollars to fight in the UFC, my opinion. So that's the graduated scale I'd start with. No show and win. So we're kind of taking so this. That's a basic quality of life thing, right? So we're doing away with the show and win split, in the following sense. We cut that. We bump every. So that's entry guys. If you want to take everybody else, cut show and win. Take everybody's show purse. Bump it by, so again, it would be doubled. So if you don't want to just straight up double it to pay everybody everything flat, give them, call it 65%, a 65% bump, right? And then any finish, nets, any finish, and you get 
Call it 50. Another 50%. You can still have your post-fight bonus. You can still have the discretionary bonuses. But if you want, if you want to incentivize action and finishes, having these guys fight over it and then go, well, dang, I didn't get the bonus. I asked for it. I turned in a good fight, but Dana either wasn't here for it or decided against it or some other uh, suit decided, no, I'll never forget this one, man. Um, Who was it that uh, there was a fight? Yeah, this one might, I think it was um, when Junior Dos Santos knocked out um, Mark Hunt. He was not given one of the disclosed bonuses because Mike Tyson said to Dana, no, you got to give it to, it was TJ Grant. Uh, bear in mind, and I'm not mad about TJ Grant getting more money, especially after what happened on the poor guy. But this is how you have no control over it, right? And if you're fighters, you're, especially the lower end guys, you are desperately trying to have some measure of control. Well, congratulations if you want to incentivize just winning. This is how you do it. You threaten to cut their paycheck in half if they lose, and you provide no actual structure for how your bonuses are handed out. It's just the whim of Dana White or whoever's there, right? So let's put the structure in place to incentivize the behavior you want in a consistent manner, then you still keep the 50k bonuses that you can give out because they're still good. There's nothing wrong with them. It's it's the stuff around them, although you should bump those up. Like they, those should be like $75,000 at this point instead of 50. Again, just my opinion. And you're then going to get you're going to incentivize more action and more finishes because they still want it. The the UFC's sorry, that that would be a whole other thing to get into. The entire like keep them hungry mentality is backwards. It is backwards because there are other ways to provide the appropriate incentives. Canelo Alvarez does not need to be kept hungry. He goes out there and he fights for a lot of money. Uh, you know, now the NBA basketball players, like, look at all the guaranteed money that those guys have. So why shouldn't they just be tanking games because it's easier? And there's some similar stuff with the UFC, but you know what? I'm going to talk about this. So hang on, before I talk about that. So the UFC is, again, paying out less. I've said for a long time, they the UFC admitted in public, we want to keep it around 20%, let, under 20. And they were talking about, yeah, it's probably around 18 in on average. I said for a long time, no. It's probably 15 because you look at some of the stuff they include in quote-unquote fighter compensation. They include USADA in that. They pay USADA, what was, this number came out. What was it? I can't remember if it was two or seven. They pay USADA like either two or seven million dollars a year. Because each individual test costs X amount. So one, they have to pay them to be on retainer. Then they have to pay for the process. And it was kind of like, it's funny when you look at fighters who get tested a lot. Like, look at Yuri Prohachka. Do the math on how much each 
test you're doing of his urine costs. Look at how much money you're sp I guarantee you Yuri Prohoshka would rather have the check for for what you've spent trying on drug testing him. Guarantee it. So again, they include stuff like that and it wouldn't shock me if they include the existence of the Performance Institute in that, like so the overhead of running it. I might be wrong about that, but that's a hunch. And you might actually have a decent argument for the PI being part of fighter compensation, more so than USADA, by a million miles. Uh, so mild things for a long time, it's, it's probably closer to 15 if you were actually drilled down into it. And so now they've drilled down into it, and no, it's like 13. And... This, combined with looking at, again, that schedule of cards we're kind of in the middle of, and the UFC threw some good ones out there. I'm not trying to bury them here, but let's take half a step back, shall we? I'm not entirely sure the UFC is a fight promotion business anymore, right? I'm not saying they don't promote, okay? Let me be very clear about this. But where does the UFC get its money from? A good chunk of their cards are Apex cards, and they ain't making a lot on ticket sales there. They charge premium for the experience, but they don't make a lot. But it's not a lot. They, they do. They've cranked up the ticket prices whenever they do go anywhere. They go. They travel less frequently so that they don't burn out markets. If you think I'm lying about the ticket prices, by the way, look up what they're charging for the return to London. It's almost criminal. Heck, you know what? UFC, uh, they've got that card coming to, to uh, Salt Lake. Give me just a second. I'll look up what the ticket prices are at uh, the old Delta Center. Okay, they actually haven't released that information. Tickets do not go on sale until another couple of days. Uh, yeah, May 31st. But, uh... Yeah, this is... This is not, they're charging an arm and a leg... Pretty much these days. Um, what's one I can look up? Hang on. Uh, you know, I actually can look up the London card. This is the July 22nd card. So, lowest prices are 200 pounds. That's like nosebleeds. You want to get closer going up we're going up we're going up we're still upper deck here i'm looking at hang on let's get off the upper deck Look at the, come on and hang on you know let me just click over well you show me that one uh, yeah, 300. Again, this is a pound, so feel free to do the conversion if you're so inclined. Anything, something relatively close to the ring, just for my own curiosity. A yeah, thousand pounds. Uh, how about, uh, 289? They're going to be in, uh, they're going to be in Canada, the Rogers Center. Let's have a look at that, shall we? Yeah, that's fine. Um, this is these are Canadian dollars, so again, if you want to do the math, go ahead. 
316 for the nosebleeds to 1300 for anything floor. Anything floor is going to cost you at least a thousand. Yeah, anything. <laughs> thousand bucks. So, again, I'm not saying they don't make money there, but they, they're they charging an arm and a leg for the experience of going on the occasion that they travel. And, again, I'm not saying that's not potentially relevant money. I'm saying that's not where they make the bulk of their money. They don't even sell pay-per-views really anymore. You can buy pay-per-views, uh, but where does the bulk of the UFC's money come from? It comes from two streams. The big chunk, the one they have to hit, is ESPN. ESPN pays them $400 million or whatever it is a year to hit 40-something shows a year to just drive content to ESPN+, Plus, right? And they have to do so many pay-per-views, and I believe those have to have, like, there's probably some kind of caveat in there about those having to have title fights on them, or at least a certain number of them having title fights, because otherwise some of the structuring doesn't make sense, but neither here nor there. But the the events that they put on, the ESPN just pays them the flat fee of, like, whatever a, what was it, the number? I think it was, like, a 500000 buy event would be. The other thing, oh, they've jacked up prices for pay-per-views. And then if you get above and beyond that, I guess they still get some of it. But if they throw a, if they do a bomb pay-per-view, they don't care because ESPN is paying them flat fee. That's that's the bulk of their money. That's around 50% of it. A little more, probably. What's the other major? Like, like What are the other streams? So television rights and fees are the majority of it that's espn predominantly for the united states that's the bulk of it and then whatever they have elsewhere so you know sky sports tsn i think we're there in brazil but again whatever it happens to be they collect the revenue from that they collect money from that here's the other thing um all of their sponsorships boy remember when they were worried about the professionalism of the athletes now you got shirtless burt kreischer on every corner, every other corner of the octagon. Right above the DraftKings logo, next to the Logan Paul Prime Hydration Drink with the monster. At, like, and they've got like that thing where you can buy, like you can pay a bunch of money and they'll put your name on the inside of the octagon. So it's, it's gaudy, it's cheap. It looks cheap, it's very expensive. But this is where the UFC gets some of their gets another giant chunk of their money from the the advertisements, from the sponsorships, and from DraftKings paying them an arm and a leg to be the official sponsor. Especially when, dude, DraftKings paid them a lot of money, especially in 2020 when everything else shut down. Something had to keep going so they could keep sports gambling, and it was MMA. So there's that's kind of the bulk of it. Right? Like that that's the bulk of it. It's not all of it, but it's the bulk. ESPN and their other right television rights fees and then sponsorships and people paying to be on the octagon I want and crypto.com. Is that even still a thing? 
And as long as there's a, it's look, if they're still on the UFC stuff, then they're still cashing the checks, I assume. So who knows? Whatever. Like that's where their money comes from. It's not really pay-per-views. They've largely negated the volatility of that. It's not events. A giant chunk of their events every year are held in front of no crowd to speak of. They're almost, like I said, they're almost not a fight promotion anymore in the way that we think of fight promotions. I heard someone else say this, and it kind of struck me, because I think it's true. This has been bothering me for a while. Like, they don't behave like a fight promotion. The UFC sat John Jones on the shelf to use a potential fight between John and Francis to try and negotiate and leverage Francis when Francis Ngannou's contract was up. Now, everyone did the, oh, John ducked for... No. Stop. Neither of those guys ducked the other. Here's what happened. My hunch. I bet this is true. Francis Ngannou versus John Jones is the biggest fight that they could have made for the heavyweight division. Right? This, this should not be up for debate. Francis wanted it. John wanted it. The UFC wanted it. So what what happened? Well, the answer again, the answer is money. And, well, money and how Francis thought he was being treated how Francis was being treated, but that's a slightly different topic. That got in the way, but you could have had John a little more active. I mean, John's selective because he's a big, he's a pretty big star, and he's not going to fight freaking Shamir Labirakimov in your Apex card. He ain't doing that. But he could have been more, he could have debuted at heavyweight sooner. My, and look, John had some legal problems too, So, uh, but the long and the short of this is John could have been more active. He wasn't, because if he fights and if he wins, both Francis and John have leverage, have more leverage, because more people want the fight. If John fights and loses, John then that fight's harder to make, less people are interested. So John, in the abstract, is more valuable to the UFC than John in actuality, until pen meets paper for both sides. Somewhat ditto for Francis. You know, John... Uh, Dana came out and did the, you know, Francis fought three times in three years. Like, that's your fault, promoter, matchmaker. How was that Francis's fault? He had an injury issue. Okay, that, that sucks. But then you, you know, try to cut his legs out from under him after he wins the belt. With the interim thing. How rigid is the UFC structure, by the way? If you'll recall, Francis talked about this, and I don't think he's lying. Like he said, no, I can't do August. How's September? And the UFC said, no, screw you. Sit out longer. Interim title fight. One month. They burned the UFC heavyweight champion and the best heavyweight in the world for one month. Why? Think about that for just a second. I'm going to circle back to it. So... Then, again, once John wins, John comes back and wins the vacant title. Uh, now, more talking and more stupid talking. But, so, again, like, like, why doesn't the UFC want John Jones fighting more often? Well, because he's expensive. And John's not the easiest, probably not the easiest guy in the world to deal with, I'll grant you. But, 
Let's take someone, uh, someone maybe who is, right? Uh, what's Dustin Poirier been up to lately? Um, yeah, okay, so Poirier fought three times in 2021. Only fought once in 2022, that was November. He missed almost a whole year from losing to Charles Oliveira in December of 21 to fighting Chandler in November of 22. And he's not fighting again until... Uh, again, the upcoming fight. So why isn't this guy, one of your bigger stars, fighting more often? Because well, he's expensive, and paying him to fight more regularly means paying him more money. And again, I'm sure, like, again, fighting's hard, training's hard. Like, I'm not pretending this is easy, okay? Please don't misunderstand me. But, you know, how about Connor? Again, horrible injury, I get it. But you guys, you, you don't even have this fight with Michael Chandler signed. Okay, tell you what, let, let's take somebody else, someone on the come-up who maybe should be fighting more often. What's Kamzat Shemaev up to? We only recently got that announced. It'll be, they're looking at him versus Kamaru Usman. Which is a solid fight. But how long has that guy been sitting out? The UFC will take these fighters who have a degree of notoriety and they will sit them on the shelf. And there's a couple of reasons for it, I think. One is, again, these guys aren't cheap and the UFC is a frugal organization when it comes to their spending. That's pretty well documented at this point. Two, the UFC hates giving up leverage. This is this is what happens when you have as much power as the UFC does. They're basically a monopoly. You will act detrimentally to the market and to your and to your own interests in some respect if you value your power and your leverage more than the other things. The UFC will do the, they do this all the time. They will not bend. They will not bend. They will not bend. Screw you. We'll sit you on the shelf for longer. Give you a short notice fight. We'll extend your contract umpteen years. By the way, our contracts are more restrictive now, so your contract doesn't actually start until you have your first fight. But once you sign the contract, we own you. And then, again, we'll keep rolling things over. Your sunset claws are a little bit harder to activate. Oh, by the way, you can't sue us. Uh, new contracts for fighters, now they relinquish the right to be part of a class action lawsuit. Any disputes must be settled via arbitration. They behave this way because their their market influence and their power is more important to them than the actual health of the market. This is a bad thing. I'm kind of a free, I'm more of a free market guy. Being a free market guy doesn't mean no oversight or intervention. It means very, very little. Because if you do no oversight or intervention, you do wind up with monopolies. So, again, finding that balance, you can have a debate. Again, but more free market capitalist, generally speaking, me. But that doesn't mean no, that doesn't mean there is no room for law and oversight in the market. None of, that's not what that means at all. If you're a more extreme free market guy, it can be, but I'm not that, I'm just not that extreme about it. Um, 
and that's kind of where we are now. The UFC will do... They will take substandard action to preserve their market position over and over and over again to the detriment of primarily fighters. Occasionally fans, if fans care enough. And that's just kind of, again, that's just kind of what they do. So you'll get Sean Strickland fighting a dozen times a year. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but in main events for Apex cards, because that's where they make their money. Think about this. Again, you got all these events that are happening, some of them in smaller venues, some of them in front of no crowd whatsoever. Because what the UFC cares about is their ability to generate content for the streaming service for ESPN+. They're not really a fight promoter, they're a content provider. And if you understand the distinction there, a giant chunk of what the UFC does suddenly makes a lot more sense. Why do they have a bunch of these smaller guys fighting on crappy contracts rapidly to fill up the schedule because the UFC has dates that they have to hit has numbers that they have to hit and if you don't accommodate them they will take punitive action and find someone who will because the content is what matters not how good it is they don't care the UFC would rather have good content I'm sure but they don't actually care if it's bad the check cleared their deal with ESPN does not say that the events they put on have to be of a certain quality. They have to put on 40-whatever events. 42, 45, something like that. Probably 42 would be my hunch. They have to do it. They'll pull homeless guys off the street as long as they're sanctioned by the Nevada State Athletic Commission in the Apex. They'll do bum, they would do bum fights just for the content. Because that's what they have to do. They have to hit content minimums that's what they do more than anything else that is what they do so anyone that costs more money they're more they're more careful with especially if they're not traveling as much they don't have to sell tickets they're more careful with that and no they will not be leveraged because the all they have to do is hit the date. And if you're on board with that, fine, we'll be cool until they use you up and spit you out. And if you're not, well, screw you, go somewhere else. And this is just the machine that we live in. And again, there's a lot of people who think about it the wrong way. They think about it like a fight promotion. It's not really a fight promotion. They think about it like a sports league. It's not a sports league. More than anything, this is a content-generating venture. That's what it is. It is They fill ESPN Plus with cheap, disposable hours. That's what they do. And, yeah, that, again, that's kind of what they are. More than anything else. And they occasionally take up time with all other business ventures. Like, uh, you know, Dana... Dude, I forgot that, like, how... So, Howlerhead, which is, like, Dana White's vodka flavor... Not vodka flavor, excuse me, like, banana flavored... Like, banana whiskey, banana rum. I don't know. I don't drink. I don't care. 
But the, the Howler Head logo that you see, like that, that's Dana's Booze Company. Uh, like the compensation for it being, like what it paid, put air quotes around that, to be on the UFC, um, the, the mat, was a part ownership to like Endeavor of Howler Head. And there's nothing, I don't think that's illegal. I'd have to, you'd have to be a bit more in, in tune with the nuance of, um, business law to, but I don't think that's illegal. I don't think it's illegal to, as compensation, sell, uh, you know, percentage in percentage ownership in another company. I might be wrong, but I don't think so. Uh, but hey, you know, good to be Dana White's thing or, you know, the UFC social media, just be like, Hey, power slaps of things. Oh, piss off. Not devoting any more time to talking about that abomination. But again, when you start thinking about the UFC as just a content mill, so much of what they do actually starts making sense. Whereas if you think about them as a fight promotion, a lot of what they do doesn't. We'll get to that when we talk about Aljamain Sterling in a second. I'll be brief. I, got, I had talked about this for a while, so I'll try to be brief with the rest of the stuff we're going to talk about here. So let's move on. In the world of boxing, I'll be brief here. I promise for the you don't like boxing. Uh, we got announced that Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Bud Crawford is set. It's the same day as Destin Poirier and Justin Cagey 2, uh, which hurts my heart. But if you're in the boxing know, like, Spence and Crawford has been the fight that everyone's wanted for the last, like, three to five years. These two guys are great. They are among the very best in boxing, pound for pound. Um, I can't wait. I genuinely can't wait. Looking forward to that fight. I am pumped. There's very little better in the combat sports world than when boxing gets its act together. Which it doesn't always do. But when it does, and when you get the right fights, boxing is special. And I'm not saying you have to watch it. I'm saying there's sometimes you should seriously consider it. All right. uh, I mentioned this er, just a minute ago, so let's do this real fast. Uh, so Dana White got into a bit of a spat with Aljamain Sterling. So, the UFC, when they announced all their fights, one of them that they announced was Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley for the, um, I forget the event, but for one of those, but for an upcoming event, right? Was it the Boston card, I think? Yeah. And Aljamain Sterling said, I agreed to this verbally, but I can't actually accept until I get another MRI. I'm dealing with some kind of injuries. Well, Dana White's response to this was predictably bad you know well if you don't want to fight then don't take the fight we'll throw an interim title on there why why are you throwing an interim title on this dude he just fought do you need every individual ufc champion to fight once a quarter is that what we're doing here because brandon moreno's still on the shelf when's the last time islam makasha has been on the shelf for a while yeah not a lot of movement on the John Jones front. We still don't know what's up with Jamal Hill. Um, Israel Adesanya, we don't know. He just had the Pereira fight fairly recently, but uh, he might not fight again this year. If he does, it'll only be one at the end, so he's fighting twice a year. 
Um, Edwards. Do we know his next fight? Uh, we know they want to do him in Covington. I, think was, I don't think we have a full date for that yet, but that's what they want to do. We know Volkanovski. That's going to be... So, look, the point here is... The UFC... Again, they don't care about Aljamain Sterling. They care about hitting the content dates. And they want a title fight on that card. So if Aljamain Sterling comes back and says, no, I could fight a month later, they're going to put Sean O'Malley versus Henry Cejudo or whatever for the interim bantamweight title on that card. And screw you for messing with our schedule, because our schedule is everything. That's just what they're going to do. And... It's a little bit unreasonable. And here's the big thing about this. The UFC has lost... They've lost credibility. They just have. And that's not just Dana White. He's the forward face. So he's kind of the one I default to when I talk about this. But the UFC has, for so long, announced fights that are not signed... That we've all stopped believing them. And so, again, when the UFC announced all those fights, anyone worth their salt looked to an independent source that checked with the relevant fighters and other representatives to say, confirm, yes, this fight's on. So when people reached out to Aljamain Sterling and he said, I've agreed verbally, but I haven't signed anything... Now Dana's annoyed that he kind of looks bad. You announced Robert Whitaker and Paulo Costa for Australia and then pretended that was a thing for months. Well, Costa said, not signed, fake news. Literal fake news coming out of the UFC. I don't like using that phrase. But they were lying to you. Us. Dana White has lied on the record multiple times. He cannot be taken at his word. Full stop. That now extends to the entire UFC apparatus. You should have no faith in them when they announce things. Until you see it confirmed by other people. Other people that you know have reached out to the appropriate parties or the, or the fighters themselves confirm it. Because that happens. But the UFC's word means nothing. It means nothing anymore. And Aljamain Sterling, another example of that, and Dana White got pissy about it. And, again, you just, you... Here's the other thing about this. I don't know what the UFC's problem is with Aljamain Sterling, but they seem to have an axe to grind. Um, in terms of, like, the schedule they're trying to enforce upon him, who they're putting him against... <laughs> Um, this is either slightly more popular or, for their perception, easier to deal with fighters. Um, I don't know. He's just one of those guys, I guess, that the UFC has decided we don't really like you anymore, if we ever did. And they have those, fi they have those fighters, man. They just have those fighters. And if they're good enough, they become champions anyway and just kind of raise the middle finger. But we'll see. So, 
that is a thing that we're dealing with now, so we'll wait and see. We're still waiting on Aljamain Sterling to confirm, and if he's healthy, he'll take the fight. If he's not, he won't. That's, a, that's one of those weird fights, because O'Malley is about as tall and long as Sterling, so some of Sterling's physical advantages that he relies on aren't quite there. But O'Malley's grappling is still a big question mark. Well, big question mark's kind of the wrong phrase. Against a guy who fights like Sterling does, that's a big liability. But O'Malley hits pretty hard. So that's one of those fights that I tend to think is, even if it goes back and forth, it's going to go dramatically back and forth. Like, that's not going to be a... If that's where one of them wants it, it's going to go their way pretty heavily. We'll wait and see what happens there, but that's where we are, so. Yeah, Dana White beefing with another one of his fighters. Film at 11. Alright, that's everything I've got written down, so let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will get plugs and get out of here. Nope, nothing new, so plugs. What do I get this week? Um, the usual, I covered Raw the last couple of weeks, so... Not doing that anymore at the moment. I believe Tony Acero is back on duty, so good for him. Um, MLW Fusion has started up again. I think when they were... So, Underground wrapped its season. When they're doing Fusion again, I cover it because there's logistical reasons. And that I can do Fusion, but I can't do Underground. So, if Fusion is back weekly, I'm covering that. So, be on the lookout for that if you care about my professional wrestling takes. I cover WWE SmackDown on Thursdays. I actually, before recording this, did AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view. Any and all of that, my reports can be found in the Professional Wrestling Zone, 411mania.com, if you're so inclined. In my other podcasting news this week on Damn You Hollywood, myself, Mark Radulich, and Alexis Haina will be tackling the live-action Little Mermaid. Bleh. That's my preview of my review. Bleh. Uh, last week, Mark and I talked about Fast X. Oi. What a boring headache that was. So, if you want our thoughts on that over on Damn You Hollywood, is my movie review podcast. Uh, pretty much every week, myself and Mark is kind of the standard, and then occasionally we have other people on talking movies and everything else. So, give that a listen. We talk movies, we talk the money, and we talk the critics. Try to get the three pillars of the movie business there. So give that a listen if you're so inclined. I really appreciate it. With that out of the way, next week we will be back here. Uh, We will review UFC on ESPN 46. And we will preview UFC 289. Headlined by Amanda Nunes and Irene Aldana. Also on that card, Charles Oliveira and Benil Daryush. Good fight. Uh, What else on the main card? Is a weak main card. Yeah, Oliveira and Darius is the best fight on that card by a considerable margin. How are the prelims? Well, Dvorak's not bad. Mountie and Dawkins I could do without. Dowager I can do without. Imovov and Curtis isn't terrible. It's weak. It's a weak pay. It's a it's a weaker pay per view. Let's just call it like it is. Full preview next week. So see you back here for that. All right. That's it for me. Thank you very, very much as always. Appreciate all of you people. Stay safe out there. See you next week and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.